promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call upon you as my heart grows faint. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I will dwell in your house forever. I will take refuge under the cover of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have granted me the heritage of those who fear your name. Add length of days to the life of the king. Let his years extend over many generations. Let the king sit enthroned before God forever. Bid love and faithfulness watch over him. So will I always sing the praise of your name, and day by day I will fulfill my vows. Amen. Reading from Ezekiel, chapter 29, beginning at the first verse. In the tenth year, in the tenth month of the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man. Face Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all of Egypt. Speak to him and say, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster lying in the middle of his Nile, who says, my Nile is my own, I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams cling to your scales. I will haul you up from the middle of your Nile and all the fish of your streams will cling to your scales. I will leave you in the desert, you and all the fish of your streams. You will fall on the open ground and will not be taken away or gathered for burial. I have given you to the wild creatures of the earth and the birds of the sky as food. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord, for they have been a staff made of reed to the house of Israel when Israel grasped you by the hand. You splintered, tearing all their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you shattered and made all their hips unsteady. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, uh, just like last week, we are not going to be uh, reading the whole of two chapters that we're taking a look at. Because just like last week, we took a look. Last last week, I think we only did one chapter. And then the week before that, we did two chapters. Here, we're going to do two chapters because they're kind of uh, co-mingled together. And we're just going to look at some some various pieces here of chapter 29 and chapter 30 of Ezekiel because they deal with Egypt and they deal with God's prophecy against Egypt and, and trying to see how that fits for us, especially with some things that I've been noticing late, not lately, I've been noticing them for a long time. Um, but some of the stuff is going to be probably controversial and that's okay. I'll, I'll take it. Um, but it's, it's going to be things that deal with our current climate that we have here in the U S anyways, for those of you that are listening in Germany, uh, in England, uh, Scotland, um, 
even in Brazil, uh, some some of those places. Uh, this I don't know if this applies to you or not. I don't understand politics that much in some some of your countries, but you'd think I would. I, you'd think I would know more about Germany because that's where my wife's from. But um, it is uh, the the situation that that Ezekiel is dealing with here is this is actually an earlier prophecy of of his. Uh, it's it's basically. Uh, uh, seven months before the fall of Jerusalem, because Ezekiel doesn't really go chronologically uh, here, especially in this section. Uh, we are we are to understand that of all the books in the scriptures, Ezekiel is actually one that most uh, scholars admit was put together by one person, Ezekiel, and was edited in a particular way. So, so he certain things were written at certain times, certain prophecies were written at certain times, and and. Uh, they're sort of put together to fit in particular sections because uh, later on uh, here in, in chapter 29, we have him sort of jumping around a little bit with history and saying that Egypt is compensation for the 13-year siege that Babylon had on Tyre, that they, that they worked so hard to try and take Tyre and they received very little in compensation for that, quote unquote. And so Egypt becomes compensation for that, which is weird. I don't know how much we're going to dwell on that. But what I do want to look at here is, again, we have uh, the Egypt king, Pharaoh, uh, basically doing the same thing that was happening with the prince in Tyre, Right. So, so here it's, it's seven months before the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, the 10th year and the 10th month and the 12th day of the month, uh, that is of, of Zedekiah's reign. And he says, uh, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I'm against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster lying in the middle of his Nile. The picture being that we're supposed to see Pharaoh as this great crocodile, this great serpent, whatever position you want to want to give him. The, the idea being that the pharaohs always thought of themselves as gods, who says, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. I am a god, he says. The Nile was this thing to be worshipped because every, every year that it flooded, it helped uh, with the, the uh, growing season. It helped to give nutrients to the soil and to to irrigate the, the crops and, and all those things. And so it became something that the Egyptians learned how to use to their advantage. And that is what is what uh, Pharaoh's kind of going, yes, I'm awesome. Look at me. Look what I've done. I, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I've never understood that phrase. But anyways, I, I am the greatest of, of all when it comes to what it is that, that I am capable of doing. Look at what I've done. But then God says, I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams cling to your scales. I, I'm going to treat you like the crocodile you are. God says to Pharaoh. And he says he's basically just going to leave him out in the open land. He's not even going to get a chance to be buried. He's just going to sit out there and rot with all the fish that have clung to him, the fish being the the people of Egypt. And then verse 6 and 7 is where I'm I'm wanting to dwell quite a bit here uh, today. Uh, Then all the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord, for they have been a staff made of reed to the house of of Israel, a very flimsy staff, 
a very flimsy piece of straw, practically. Uh, when Israel grasped you by the hand, verse 7, you splintered, tearing all their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you shattered and made all their hips unsteady. Uh, Egypt and Israel, had Judah specifically, had a very long history of working together. Uh, I've often wondered if the ties between Egypt and the Israelites were never really truly broken, even after the Exodus. But uh, Israel found themselves in between these two superpowers, right? Of, of Babylon, well, of Assyria first, but then of Babylon and Egypt. And at this time, Egypt was a major superpower. And here Israel is relying on them to be their protectors. It's it's the sin that they commit uh, that Jeremiah calls them out on, that you're, you're relying not on God. You're relying not on what it is that God is doing. You're not trusting that God is working here, that God is actually using Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon for a particular purpose, that, that God is going to fulfill the promise still to us, even though at this time he is going to be uh, causing us some harm, some shame, some some difficulties. And here Ezekiel has joined the crowd to be able to say, you're, you're grasping at straws here. You're grasping at the reeds, thinking that they are going to save you. You're, you're, you're placing all your eggs in this basket of Egypt, this political power to try and, and save you, thinking, well, Egypt will do it. They've done it before. And here Ezekiel's saying, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And I love this imagery of uh, when Israel grasped you by the hand, you splintered. As though it's just this little twig that you're trying to walk with a cane and it just breaks. And and think I don't think you maybe you've never had this happen before. I've never had it happen before. I've seen it in movies. But uh, where you're leaning all your weight on that cane or that crutch to help you uh get where you need to go, but then the, that crutch slips and, and you fall. And it's it can be very painful because you're trusting in those crutches, in that cane to support you, to help you, to carry you through whatever the difficulties are. And, and here you have, uh, you have God saying, no, those aren't going, those aren't going to help you. These are echoes of actually Isaiah chapter 36. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 36, it's there um, that that he he Isaiah basically says the, the same thing. It's this this uh, well, it's not necessarily Isaiah. Uh, Sennacherib, the the uh, king of of Assyria, has come to Jerusalem and they're ready to besiege it. And Hezekiah freaks out and all these things. And and one of his uh, royal spokesmen steps up uh, in verse 4 of chapter 36 of Isaiah. And he says, tell Hezekiah, the great king, the king of Assyria says this, what are you relying on? You think mere words are strategy and strength for war. Who are you now relying on that you have rebelled against me? Look, you are relying on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of anyone who grabs it and leans on it. This is how Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is to all who rely on him. Suppose you say to me, we rely on the Lord our God. Isn't the, he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you are to worship at this altar. Altar. 
Here, Ezekiel basically is, is recognizing the same things that other people are recognizing. Think of this, the, the royal spokesman of the king of Assyria, and yes, this is well before the time of Ezekiel, is saying the same things that now Ezekiel is having to echo. That it's, it's this continuous story that's having to be told. That, uh, as, as I often say, it's, it's just echoes of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, where, where Solomon says to us, there's nothing new under the sun. We keep repeating the same sins, the same crap, over and over and over and over again. And it's the same thing here. That Israel keeps going back to the same barren cistern that that will never be filled as as the as Jeremiah speaks of it that um, they they uh, continue to go back to this this thinking that uh, Egypt is going to save them and I started thinking about this uh, that what is who is our Egypt church who is it that we keep relying on we can see it in our politics today if you are of, of the democratic progressive persuasion, you're placing all your eggs in the basket of, of Biden and Harris and uh, AOC and, and particular people in Congress and these particular folks who are supposed to be ushering in. Basically, you're thinking that they're going to be ushering in the kingdom of God in some way, which is not going to happen. You can pretend like it's going to happen, but it's not. And, the, and then the same, on the same side, those of you who are of the more Republican conservative, how many of you are sitting here placing all your eggs in the basket of Trump or, or whichever candidate you, you've put your uh, support behind? You think somehow, oh, if we could just get our guy into office, if we could just get our party in power, things will be great. Well, how has American history been going? Because we've been doing that over and over and over again. One party comes to power, and then the next party comes to power. And then it changes hands again. Then it changes hands again. They go back and forth. And from what I can tell, our country isn't any better off. We like to think that we are. We like to say, well, the economy is better under this person, or society is better under that person. But is it truly? Really? Are you are you that blind to think that you can just trust in whatever political person as your political messiah, as your Barabbas, as as this one who somehow is going to usher in the kingdom of God in the way that you want it to be, some sort of 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 theistic uh, patriarchy or, or whatever term that people want to use? That's not going to happen. Utopia is not going to come. The, and, and no matter who wins the presidency, you should be afraid of that. We shouldn't be putting all our eggs in the basket of, oh, we just need to have so-and-so as the president and then things will be better. That's how we've, got, we've been screwed so many times. When instead, what we need to do is we need to turn our hearts back to God, trust that things are going to work out, that, that we are not going to lose everything <laughs> and to trust that his will will be done. His kingdom will come. He will give us today our daily bread. That's the whole point of the Lord's prayer. 
is to place everything in his hands and to trust him in all things. But instead, we look for other Jesuses. We look for other Messiahs. We look for other ones to quote-unquote save us who cannot save. Cannot save. I do like eventually, here later on in chapter 29, uh, beginning at the 13th verse, God says, though, that even though Egypt is even going to be put into exile, that he's going to return them. Uh, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples where they were dispersed. I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back. Uh, they, But, he says, they will be a lowly kingdom. Verse 14, verse 15, Egypt will be the lowliest of kingdoms and will never again exalt itself over the nations. I will make them so small they cannot rule over the nations. I will never again be an object of trust. It will never be again an object of trust for the house of Israel, drawing attention to their iniquity of turning to the Egyptians. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. Uh, That is something that I've been wondering as of late. How we've become so polarized in our politics all over the world, but especially here in, um, in America that I'm wondering that this polarization is causing so much grief and hardship that I'm hoping that maybe what it's going to do is it's going to wake people up to the fact that you're trusting in the wrong things. That that God is going to bring uh, Egypt back. He's going to restore their fortunes. He's going to care for his people. He's going to care for your political opponent, whoever that might be. Uh, He's going to care for your political savior who possibly is going to fail you. But when he brings them back, they're going to be nothing. I'm wondering if what God needs to do right now is he needs to make sure that er everyone that you support as this one that's going to save you fails so that you can trust in him alone. What would that look like, church? How would that change for you? How how would things be better off for you if God were to remove from you all the trust that you place in everything but him? That God were to remove from you all the trust that you place in the different deities that you create and he were to leave you basically desperate knowing that all you can do is cling to him in all things. Chapter 30 is basically just, again, reiterating the doom of Egypt. Uh, I like in verse 12 of chapter 30, he says, I will make the streams dry and sell the land to evil men. I will bring desolation on the land and everything in it by the hands of foreigners. I, the Lord, have spoken. They're saying, I'm going to dry up the things that you worship, the Nile, whatever the case may be. And then uh, verses 13 through 19 are interesting because it's a whole list of God destroying their idols in Egypt. Uh, I will destroy the idols and put an end to the false gods in Memphis. Memphis was this religious center. There will no longer be a prince from the land of Egypt. I will instill fear in the land. And then he lists all these other places, Pathros and Zoan and Thebes, which was the the place of the god Amon. Uh, Pelusium, which was this this, uh, fortress city. Uh, And and, uh, On and Pibeseth, which was this place of the cat-shaped god, which sounds kind of cool, but... um, on was this place of sun worship. 
to Hafna, he's uh, all these different places. And it all ends with God saying, and they will know that I am the Lord. Church, I wonder what sort of things need to be put to death in you so that God is God? What, what Egypts have you been trusting in as of late and instead you need to rely on the Lord, his word and his will in your life? That you need to rely on Christ as the sole salvation of your soul? What, what sort of Egypts are getting in the way of you and God? Where does he need to work in you? Let's pray. O Lord God, enliven and preserve your church with your perpetual mercy. Without your help, we mortals will fail. Remove far from us everything that is harmful and lead us toward all that gives life and salvation through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, church, uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to these podcasts. Continue to share them with others. Give us some ratings and some reviews so that more people can find us. Uh, But with that, I pray that you have a wonderful week coming up. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.